Good evening, everyone. Make sure you keep your Bibles open. Uh, we'll be looking at various verses from what, the passage that was just read. Uh, but before we get started, how about I pray? Please join with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you will help us to hear it, understand it, and put it into practice tonight. Amen. So if you're going to write a biography of Jesus, like Luke, if you're going to do that, what would you put in it? What would you include in your story of Jesus' life? For most people, I think they'd start at Christmas. Christmas is an important part of Jesus' life. It's when he was born. Uh, everybody loves Christmas. It's a great story. So what better place to start? Where would you go after that? Would you talk about Jesus, the boy at the temple, when his parents left without him? Or would you just skip that bit and go straight to his adult ministry? And if you did that, where would you go from there? Would you talk about his miracles? Talk about his teaching? Would you include the Sermon on the Mount, Lord's Prayer, raising of Lazarus, feeding of the 5,000? Well, what about John the Baptist? John the Baptist feels a bit like a tangent. We're here to learn about Jesus and all of a sudden here's Luke talking about this other guy called John. Why is he so important? Well, it's not just Luke who thought he was important. All four of our biblical gospel writers include John the Baptist in their accounts of Jesus. There's only about a dozen things that all four gospel writers include in their, that they all share and John the Baptist is one of them. That means he's probably more important than we think. He's less of a tangent than we realise. And so we're going to see what God has to say to us through John the Baptist. In verse 1, Luke starts off pretty nicely and he tells us the date. That's what Luke is on about when he's saying Herod was the tetrarch of this place and his brother was the tetrarch of this other place and this guy was Caesar. All of that is to tell us when in history... John the Baptist showed up. And that's important to Luke because he wants us to know that this story really happened. This isn't something he's making up. This isn't a brother's grim fairy tale. No, this happened. It happened in a real place to real people with real eyewitnesses. It was an important turning point in the history of the world. And Luke has been making that very clear to us right since the start of his account. He started by telling us that he was very carefully investigated things. He started chapter 2 by again telling us the date and then he's doing it again. He wants us to remember this happened. Just like Jesus, John the Baptist was a real person who really walked and really said a whole bunch of things that we need to listen to. But after he's told us the date, Luke uh, records what John is saying. Luke says something a bit strange. He says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God coming to someone, the last time we heard that expression used was all the way back in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And that's the way that the Old Testament writers tell us that someone is a prophet. And so Luke, by saying that the word of God is coming to John, the son of Zechariah, is making clear John is a prophet. Just like Ezekiel, 
Isaiah, Malachi, Obadiah, God is speaking to his people directly through John. All the times that God spoke to people during the Christmas story that we heard over the last few weeks, he used dreams and he used angels. But after 400 years of silence, after 400 years of no word directly from God, here it is. Here's John, God's chosen prophet, and he has a message. And that means we need to treat John and his words with the same seriousness and the same attitude that we have when we read Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Hosea, and all the other guys. It's really important that we pay attention. This is why he's in all four of the Gospels, because God is speaking to us through John just as clearly as he's spoken through the rest of the Old Testament prophets. And John's message is pretty simple. Repent, be baptised. But he's speaking to a bunch of Jews, and this is a bit odd. See, the only people who were baptised when John was around were non-Jews who wanted to become Jewish. One of the rituals they would go through is to be baptised. And here he is talking to a whole bunch of Jewish people and saying, hey, you need to go back to the beginning and become Jewish again. Be like showing up to your workplace after you've been working there for 15 years. You get there and the boss's assistant comes to your desk and says, hang on, we don't think you really get this company or what we're trying to do here. We'd like you to go back and go through the internship program again. Shocking. No one, after working for a company, would go back and be an intern again. But that's precisely what John is telling his audience to do. And there's a reason why they need to go back and become interns again. They've forgotten what it means to be God's children. See, the people that John was talking to had become complacent. They thought that simply by being children of Abraham, that they were on good, God's good side, that they could live however they want, they could just pay God lip service. But then John comes along in verse 8 and says something pretty shocking. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. God is not interested in lip service. An apology doesn't mean anything if there's no change in your behaviour afterwards. And John's warning gets even more stark when we realise when in history that it's happening. Luke, quite helpfully, gives us John's job description. John's job description comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and John's job is to prepare the way for the Lord. God is coming to his people and they need to be ready for it because when God arrives, he will show who are his children and who are not. And John is worried that the people he is talking to are not ready. The axe is at the tree. Every tree without good fruit will be gotten rid of. But there's hope because John's job is also, also to say as we see in verse 6, all people will see God's salvation. 
Yes, God is coming. No, the people are not ready. But there is a way coming so they can be ready. If they truly repent, if they change their ways, someone is coming who can make sure that they are on God's good side. But what does this true repentance look like? What is John looking for in his audience? Well, what he's looking for is for them to bear the family resemblance. When you think about it, most people, most people in a family, they look the same. They look like they belong. Even people who are adopted into families will tend to take on many of the idiosyncrasies and mannerisms of their adopted family. When you look at a family photo, it's pretty easy to tell who's in the family and who's married in because families look the same. If you were around on Christmas Eve, you probably saw my brother walking around. He was the one who looked like me but didn't answer to the name Ben. His name is Josh, which is why he didn't answer to my name. And John here is warning these people that they claim to be children of Abraham, they claim to be God's children, but they're not bearing any of the family resemblance. They don't show that they are part of God's family or Abraham's family. See, God isn't interested in people who just call themselves Christian, who are just happy to tick the box on the census form and then move on with their lives, maybe showing up to church every so often but not really paying it much thought. No, God wants people whose lives have been so drastically changed by the message of the gospel that their lives reflect that, that when people see them, they'll say, hey, I look at them and I can tell that they are part of God's family. They bear the family resemblance. And unfortunately, just like John's original audience, we're in danger of becoming complacent as well. Far too often we think that if we just go through the motions, say the right things, show up to the right events every so often, that we'll be okay. But if God wanted people to just fill in the pews, he just turned the chairs into people. God wants true followers, people who bear his family name and who show that in their lives. Now, all of that's a bit abstract. You'd be very warranted if you interrupted me here and said, hey, Ben, what does this actually look like day to day? And helpfully, John tells us. So in verse 11, he talks to the whole crowd. He says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Our God is a generous God. He is the one who has given us everything we have. He gives us every breath we breathe. He has given us our jobs, our families, our workplaces. The money in our account has all come from him. And so he wants his people to reflect the generosity that he has shown us. If we want to look like we belong to God's family, we need to be generous. How can you be generous with what you have? Maybe you have money. Maybe you don't have much money, but you have time. 
Maybe you don't have much time, but you have certain skills. Whatever it is that God has given you, God wants us to look at it and say, how can I be generous with what I have been given? Because that is one of the ways that we can show that we belong to the family of a God who is abundantly generous to everyone. Then, John moves on and talks to the working man. He says to the tax collectors, don't collect any more money than you're required to. Then to the soldiers, he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You can see that in verses 13 and 14. And it's interesting, when he's talking to these two groups, tax collectors who are no better than thieves, soldiers whose job it is to go out and be in the army, he never says, quit your jobs, get a better one. He says, do your job in a way that honours God. There's very few jobs in this world that are inherently against God. There's a couple, but not many. What God wants us to do is not necessarily get a better job. He wants us to please him in the way that we work in the jobs that he has given us. And the common theme that John is going on about between the tax collectors and the soldiers is he wants them to use their power for the good of others and not for selfish gain. See, tax collectors had the whole power of the government behind them. If they told you that you owed this much tax, there was no way you could argue it. You had to pay whether it was true or not. Tax collectors would often inflate how much tax you owed so they could take a cut off the top. And soldiers have immense power. They're the only ones walking around with weapons for the most part. They're the ones who have got a bunch of cronies who can come and extort money from whoever they feel like. But again, John is saying, don't use your power for selfish gain. Use your power to build other people up. And that's another great way in which we can bear the family resemblance. Over Christmas, we've heard of how God the Son stepped off his throne in heaven, came down, gave up his power, and became a baby in a stable in the backwaters of Israel. And then, later on in his life, the creator of the universe the sustainer and source of life itself, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Not for his own sake, but for our sake. If that is the God we worship, how much more can we be resembling our God and Father and brother than just by using our power for the sake of others, just like he did for us. I don't know where you have power in your life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's amongst your friendship groups. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with younger siblings. But God wants us to use whatever power he has given us for the good of others and not just for our own selfish gain. Are you so busy using all of your free time to work up the corporate ladder that you've forgotten that there are people around you 
who are desperately lonely and need a friend? Are you so busy using the skills God has given you to earn as much money as possible that you've forgotten that he gave you those skills to serve in his church? In thinking of church, everyone's always a little bit suspicious of that family member who never comes to birthdays or Christmas or any other family gathering. It's like that weird cousin you never quite see and you're not quite sure who they are or why they're your cousin in the first place. Well, church is God's family gathering. This is where we get together to celebrate birthdays, Christmases, and meet as a family. And so our default position shouldn't be to come every so often when it suits us, but to come as much as possible. Not for our sakes, not so that we can get more and more out of it, but so that we can be here to support the people next to us. And there will, of course, be times in our lives when we're sick or when we've got various other things on that means we can't come to church. But our normal pattern of behaviour should be to come to church, to sacrifice so that we can come and support the people next to us. Whatever that looks like, sometimes just being here to have that conversation over supper is all that's required to support the people next to you. And yes, it will require sacrifice. There'll be some evenings where you've had a really long day where it's been 35 degrees in the shade and you just can't do it. Some days you'll be tired because you couldn't get any sleep the night before. But it's worth it. Because if we want to bear the family resemblance, show that we belong to God's family, then we will need to sacrifice. And we do it not for ourselves, but for the people around us, because that is what God has done for us. What about work? What can you do at your work? As we've seen, if you want to use your work to help others, you don't have to automatically drop everything and join a charity. You can do it in the workplace you're currently at. But have a think. How can you spend time building up the people around you at work rather than stealing all the credit for their good ideas? How can you help them with their work rather than ignoring them so you can get that promotion five years sooner? Now, none of these good things that we're doing will get us into God's family. Entry into God's family is through one means alone. That is, the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through trusting in him and faith in his resurrection alone that will get us into God's family. But we change our behaviour, we change what we do to show that we are a part of God's family. We do this so that we bear the family resemblance, so that when people see us at work, on the sporting field, or amongst our friends, they see our behaviour and they say, hey, they look like they're part of God's family. John is calling us to live our lives in such a way that it is clear to everyone who sees us day to day that we belong to God's family, that we belong to a family whose father and brother gave up everything for the sake of others.
who is generous with everything that they have been given. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus and he does so with a warning and a hope. His warning is that God is coming. The axe is at the root of the tree. God will sort out who are his true children and who are not. And we need to be ready. But he comes with a hope. He says, one is coming who is greater than I. Jesus has come. And in his death and resurrection, he has allowed us entry into God's family to become true children of God. And by giving us his Holy Spirit, he now gives us the power we need to show true repentance in our lives, to live such a good life that when people see us, they will see that we bear the family resemblance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son and thank you for all the generous gifts that you so freely give us. Work in us by your Spirit and enable us to bear the family resemblance so that we may truly repent and honour you with all that we do. Amen.